0: Hi, I'm Beck Rayner and this is the Military Wife Life Podcast. A podcast that celebrates, empowers, supports, and embraces the women behind the military men by building connections, acknowledging our strength, focusing on self-care and our mental health. Let's do this together.
1: So he was just doing some risk management work with a veteran organisation, which was giving him some purpose three days a week. So it was felt like it was getting better because he would get up and he would put his work pants on, put his polo shirt on and go and do his job. And that was really helping him manage what was going on for him as well. And during that time, we had gone to a military family day that was close to where we were living and they had RSB op canine assistance dogs there. So we had a chat to the guy about about what that would look like and how that would potentially work for us and, you know, what that could mean. And with having one dog at home already and about to have a first baby and then to potentially bringing another dog into the home as well. But we were lucky enough to be able to go through that process and gain Prince from that. So Luke has now got a full-time assistance dog and that started a change in him where we could actually go out for dinner and go out for coffee and go into the shops together.
0: Can you tell us what Mm. an assistant dog is?
1: Prince is through Operation Canine through Royal Society for the Blind and he is trained to to respond to Luke's stress cues so Luke would particularly rub his hands together before things were starting to get a little bit anxious for him and Prince is trained to come up and break his hands with his nose and in fact he's in front of me now and I can do that and he'll do the same thing to me so then I you know then it's part of then rubbing your head his head and calming down and sort of taking that time to really focus on just being with him as well and not focus on the situation that's happening he was trained to open up our fridge door and get bottles water out for Luke so when he was waking up with night terrors and night sweats that Prince would respond to that so he could come with us anywhere he's able to fly with us he's able to fly internationally with us he's not allowed to be refused anywhere the only places he can't go are zoos and aquariums just because of her quarantine with the other animals
0: did you predict that it was going to work as well as it did
1: yeah I think watching Luke through the training I could see that things were changing for him and I was really anxious about having two 40 kilo dogs in a three-bedroom house yeah but that's just me the realist of what that was going to mean and he's black and we have light floors and so (laughs) it's just an absolute mess sometimes but definitely worth it and then just watching him like Luke come alive with Prince and you know being able to just do things as a family together was just absolutely incredible and so was it just a
0: a little bit of a fluke that you learned about that program because you went to you said you went to a family day like otherwise would you have even found out about them
1: was a fluke that we went to that family day and I don't actually even know why we did because there wasn't much else there for us really.
0: But yeah, and then they just happened to
1: be there. We hadn't heard about it before and didn't know that it was even a possibility.
0: Imagine if you hadn't like
1: Yeah, and that was the hardest thing was once you you know, I think they do a transition seminar, but it's not really based on what you need to be knowing, especially if you're medically discharged and then how you go about advocating for your compensations and all that sort of stuff and how what you're entitled to. None of that was spoken about it was like cheers for your nearly eight years and good luck he had to sit the neck review board to get any sort of compensation claims or anything like that even looked at and i reckon it took about six months for even his back pay because they get like 42 weeks or something paid out but that wasn't actually happening and at that time I was pregnant so we did his neck review board and he had to prove that he was as sick as he was they normally go for about an hour or so they spoke to him about 10 minutes he had to recount the incident that occurred in in Afghanistan and had to speak about the fact we're seeking medical advice and that he was seeing his doctors and his psychiatrists and he just head in his hands bawling his eyes out wanting to throw up and I'm there a highly emotional pregnant and then thinking not only then am I the breadwinner but now we've got a baby and then that means I won't be working, what's this going to actually
0: mean? So that was six months after the three months notice that he gets before he's being discharged so six months of no pay from when he got out of the army? Yeah,
1: had his annual leave paid out Mm -hmm. but he hadn't had anything else paid to him so it was just my wage and I went to DVA here even though his case was being looked at in Perth. And I I think I was about 32 weeks pregnant at that point in time. And I walked in and I was like, we've literally got a thousand dollars in our bank account and I've got a mortgage and I'm about to give birth. I need to sort this out. So what did they do when you went in? Once I went into DBA pregnant, I think it was about two or three weeks before we got all the money that we were owing, which was a huge relief. Then after that, it was just the fight for compensation and recognition of his medical injuries.
0: Did you at least have a little bit of a breather to have the baby and enjoy that time a little bit? The blessing in disguise was that Luke was able to be home I guess.
1: My parents were building a house at the time so dad had him there building their house it was about a 45 minute hour drive away from where we were living but that meant that we had some extra income coming in as well. He had about a week when Eli was born but then he was back working with dad which was actually a real positive one because he had the support and we had the extra income and he had a bit of purpose and he could you know building a house could see the things sort of happening and see that things were coming to an end and feel like he was was accomplishing something. I do remember at one point he was out doing a job with dad. The next thing, dad walks through the door. Luke walks through the door and the electrician walks through the door. And I'm like, what's going on? Went and changed Eli and dad comes into the room and he's like, he's not good. He had a massive anxiety attack and he wasn't able to drive. So I got the electrician to drive his car and I was driving him back here and stuff. And I think my response was, I can't deal with this. I've got a crying baby and I've got a husband who's not in a good place and is not coping. And I am exhausted and I'm a new mum and I just don't know how much more I can handle it was great that he was home but the lack of sleep meant that his depression and anxiety got much much worse
0: how did he deal with it getting worse
1: he just became more and more closed off so it would become more of him sitting on the couch, curtains closed, watching TV, drinking and just really struggling to participate in life really. It was really hard because he was really trying to be there as much as he could and you know there were days that he was there and it was really good but we just didn't know when the day was good or when the day wasn't going to be good and it was hard not having a rock that I could just say look I just need you to do this or can you read what's going on for me because I'm struggling because he was fine so much for himself.
0: Once you went back to work part-time and mm. Luke had his assistant's dog, what was happening with the DVA claim in the background? How was that going?
1: DVA was still sort of plodding along. The first claims that Luke got compensation for were his physical injuries and his hearing loss, but anything that was mental any of his anxiety any of his depression anything like that that was still a massive fight that was actually ended up being a six-year fight they were
0: classing it as anxiety depression but were you thinking that it was ptsd
1: the psychiatrist at the time said you've got ptsd but because of the um, medical terminology around at that point in time and the point they were talking about wasn't that he'd witnessed a death or you know serious threat of death but it was actually about him that that meant that he couldn't have ptsd so yeah it was six years before the PTSD claim finally came through.
0: What was the process? Was it like, I don't know, every three months you meet to reassess it or how did it sort of work?
1: So he had an advocate that was fighting for these claims continually. They had put in to get the claims that they knew, the physical ones that they knew were going to be passed really easily, but then it was you know, trying to get the ones in regards to his depression and anxiety was, you know, we've lost paperwork or we need this now from the psychiatrist or we need this or we need, you know, it was just this constant battle of giving them everything they needed and then still wanting to have more. But it was a really invasive process because we're dealing with this day in and day out and we're still having to prove to people that we're dealing with this and we had to do questionnaires and, you know, letters about how it was affecting all aspects of our life down to our sex life. They wanted to know that information was his depression anxiety affecting our sex life it was really invasive when you're already dealing with so much stress
0: aside from that how do you even try to get past it and improve your situation when you're constantly reliving it and trying to prove that how bad things are but you are also working on yourself to be able to have a life
1: yeah It was a really horrible place to be in and, you know, I'd see him struggle with how everything was going when things would come back and he'd have to fight again and then he'd get this fire in his belly like, no, they're not going to win this one. This is what's going on. I'm going to, it was never about the compensation in regards to the money. All he wanted was them to recognise it because of the service that he provided for this country and what he chose to sacrifice that he was still fighting this fight daily. That's what he wanted the recognition for.
0: And how were you feeling about (laughs) the process and supporting him through this?
1: As far as I was concerned he deserved and so did I deserve to have recognition for what the daily fight was for him even though he wasn't at war anymore because he truly was and it was affecting every single part of our life and I Wanted people to recognize that as well. Yeah. That when I say, he's not the person I married. I'm not saying that like people say that after they've been together for 20 years. I'm actually saying he's not the person that he was when I married him because his personality has changed that much that, you know, I'm trying to work out who this person is now.
0: During this time as well, he was also hospitalised?
1: Beginning of 2017, he was made redundant from his position of work. So the veteran organisation that he was working with and that was a really unclear process as well and that really affected him how he was feeling about himself and what he was going to do next and, you know, a bit of another kick in the guts really because he really enjoyed going to work and being there just even for the three days a week. It made a huge difference. Yeah, in the January he was made redundant from his position of work. In the February we had a 12-week miscarriage and then in the March he was hospitalised for the first time and things were getting really, really bad. He wasn't going out again. He was drinking more but I wasn't aware of how much he was actually drinking drinking, but then he was also medicated as well, which then obviously increased the effects of the alcohol. He would just call up on the couch and put the TV on and just not want any interaction with anybody. And it was really hard to watch Eli and him interact like that. I'm a social worker and I work in child protection. So I know a lot about child development, which also was handy in some respects, but also really made things difficult because I knew that it was a really vital time for Eli to be having both Luke and I around and that couldn't happen. So he was hospitalized for what ended up being five weeks.
0: Who decided that he would go to hospital?
1: Luke and his rehab coordinator had been talking about it. We were in the spare room one day and Eli was playing and he just kind of said to me, So I think I'm gonna to go towards 17. And I, I was like, oh, okay. And then walked off to the bathroom. Had a bit of a meltdown, cleaned myself up, went back and said, so how did that come about? (laughs) Then we had a bit of a chat about, you know, that he would be talking to his rehab lady about it and his psychiatrist and just felt like he needed some more support. I think for me, it was about what have I missed? Like, I didn't quite think we were at that point. What did I miss? What have I not done? Then watching him once he'd made that decision, have almost even more of a decline as he was waiting to go into hospital. And then unfortunately, what prolonged the process of him getting into hospital was Prince. Luke wasn't going to go in there without him and the Uh hospital didn't know whether they would allow Prince to be there. That was really difficult because Luke is huge on justice and things being right and he just couldn't understand how that could possibly be. And I was just watching him deteriorate more and more while still having to work and leave him at home or wherever he was going to feel comfortable being, which wasn't too many other places basically, but that was scary.
0: And so was he able to take Prince with him?
1: He did, yeah. He called me on the Tuesday and said, I've got a position in the hospital. I've got a bed. They're letting me in. And so I just said to my boss, I'm leaving. I'm taking him down. He didn't want me to, but I also didn't want him to have a car that he could access while he was there because I was quite concerned about his
0: safety. What happens when someone's hospitalised?
1: So it was just more of an intense treatment plan, really. And he could just focus on getting better. The flip side of that meant that then I had all the responsibilities without much knowledge of really what was happening or how... You know, they don't have a treatment plan that you are going to stay in for this long. It's basically, we'll just decide how long it's going to be as it's happening.
0: Yeah, on the flip side, you're at home dealing with everything.
1: Yeah, he was two at the time. And so I would work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays. And then the Thursday or Friday, would drive down to the hospital and see Luke and then try to explain to a two-year-old why we're leaving down at the hospital and drive home and do it all again the next week.
0: And at what point do you get to have a breakdown?
1: When Eli went to sleep. <laughs> that point in time I didn't allow myself to get to that point because I was concerned about whether I was going to be able to get back up again after everything that we'd been through you know I had my parents as really good support and they would have Eli they'd been having him overnight once a month since he was 13 months of age so that he had a really good relationship with them so if I needed time you know they could have him.
0: And could you see when you were going to visit him that he was improving?
1: That time, yes, I could. He would call and he would talk about the fact that he was, you know, they were making him go for walks and then go into different shops around the hospital and then he, he would always take a water bottle with him because his idea was if he felt hot then he could drink water and that would stop anything going any further for him. And then he had gotten to the point where he could do that without a water bottle. So, you know, things like that, I could see that he was really making improvements. I'd said to the doctors that I wasn't really involved in much, many of the conversations or his treatment plan. I really knew much about what he was going through besides what he was telling me i didn't even really know who to speak to or what to what the process was to be honest with you the one thing I had said to the doctor was I don't want him home until we've had a meeting like I want to understand you know where he's got to I want to understand his triggers so that if something you know if he starts to decline again that I can see those warning signs before it gets to the point that he's hospitalized and I didn't really have much of an idea you know he sent me his admission paperwork one day for some reason I needed it and reading you know how much alcohol he was taking and how he was expressed wanting to be able to spend more time with Eli and connect with him but the inability that he felt to be able to do so like that was a real that was a really hard piece of paper to read to just realize how bad it actually was he had really improved in that first hospitalization period and things were going well for a while there. And he had enrolled us into a PTSD course at the hospital we're running that the wives would go to on one day a week and that the guys would go three days a week. And so it was an eight week course that he had put our name down for. So I felt really positive about sort of where we were heading and the fact that he was still allowing me into some of what was going on for him. As good as it was to be a part of the process and be recognised as a wife and as a defense wife or as a military wife or a veterans wife it unraveled us completely and before the course ended he had said to me that he wanted a separation and that he thought that was the best thing possible and that there was nothing changing his mind thankfully also along with that he said that he was going to go back into hospital again which is what I knew that he really needed.
0: Have you heard about our Lots of Love care packages? An anonymous and free box of self-care goodies that can totally make a military spouse's day. It's a way for friends and family to send an acknowledgement in the mail to a military spouse to let them know they're awesome and the Military Wife Life community has their back. Pop over to the Military Wife Life website after you finish listening to this episode, of course, and sign someone up for the Lots of Love box. What was your feelings when he said he wanted to separate? When he told me,
1: I obviously started to panic and I, you know, was really emotional but knew that I also couldn't be very emotional because that was just going to shut him off even further than what he already was. We were at the point where I would, you know, go up to him and go to give him a hug and he's normally, and is now, you know, a really affectionate person and he would just stand there with his arms by his side and I'd say to him, you know, if you put your arms around me, it's almost like you're giving me a hug. That was what our interactions had become. So as much as I knew things would terrible. I also knew that he had you know, never wanted to be separated or have a divorce. That's something that he felt really strongly about. So I went for a bit of a walk and pulled my eyes out around the walk and then came back and said, if you feel like you need to leave and look after you and go back to hospital, then I'll support that. But we're not having a separation. I'm not letting you make that decision when you're in this state. It's not fair on you or on me or on our family. The thing that helped was that I actually just called the psychiatrist and said, look, this is what's happened and he was like, what? <laughs> I'm like, okay, so everyone's reacting how I am. Okay, that makes me feel a bit better about that.
0: So what was it but, that tipped him over the edge to want to say that he wanted a separation? Did he just think it would be easier on you or what?
1: Yeah, I think he was at the point with the PTSD course that everything was so overwhelming and it was like everything was connecting for him of how much it was affecting everything and his whole life. And I think deep down, he just didn't want Eli and I to be a part of that for our own benefit and When he went back into hospital, took him about a week, he stayed with his dad for a week. And when he went back into hospital that time, you know, he hadn't showered in a week. They really saw how bad he actually was and then monitored him a lot more closely in regards to that.
0: And so how long did he stay in hospital that time?
1: I think it was about the five weeks again as well. And I was hopeful that he would come home, but I also knew that because he said that he wasn't going to, he's very determined (laughs) and stubborn. And it would take a lot for him to go, actually, that's not what I meant, and Change his mind. So I'm also glad that I knew him really, really well because it wasn't as much of a shock. It was the shock to the hospital that he wouldn't come back, but it wasn't necessarily much of a shock to me.
0: Were you relieved that he wasn't coming back because you were probably finding it easier to parent Eli when he wasn't there, just focusing on you and Eli?
1: Definitely. There was a part of me that was relieved because I knew how unwell he was. And in some regards, you know, it's easier just to do it by yourself because you only rely on yourself then. So I could just do what I needed to do and just get on with it. So in that regard, it was a little bit easier. But, you know, we had got to the point where he'd asked, you know, I was taking Eli to go and see him and he wouldn't even acknowledge that I was there. He would just pick up Eli, be really happy with him and then just turn around and walk away.
0: And how did you stay connected to him? How did you not just say, OK, it's over?
1: As stubborn as he is, I'm probably 10 times worse. <laughs> and so that really, benefit of us in that situation because I was like I'm not going anywhere and if you're going to make a decision about our marriage and separating our family then you need to do that and you need to follow through completely yourself I'm not going to have a part of that he was telling people that we were separated and I was saying we weren't but obviously he wasn't living with us at that point in time but you know we still had all of our finances were still as one he'd spoken about me wanting to be out of the house in regards to him not wanting to come back to the house that we had at that point in time because of the memories and how sick he was at that point but it was never like this is my house you need to get out or I'm taking my compensation money and you can just go he had never got to that point so I knew deep down that what he was actually doing was trying to protect us and work on himself that being said it it came with horrific heartache because
0: this isn't like a couple of months this is like years and years of dealing with this
1: and again being put in that place where I'm waiting with no knowledge of when it's going to to finish you know he was really sick you know he was really really angry and I I'd had this thought in my head that it was probably going to be about six months before well I was hoping I was sort of like I reckon six months and then he'll be home it wasn't that <laughs> it was yeah. a lot longer but at that six month mark I started to see a change in him and he was actually a lot more approachable to me and even though you know he wasn't with us even contact daily he was definitely a lot nicer to be around and would give Give me a hug and all that sort of stuff.
0: Acknowledge you. Acknowledge The me. simple things and, in life.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and as well, he had decided to come off the medication, all of his medication. He had. Yeah. So what had happened in hospital was basically he had just been medicated so heavily that he had no response basically. So he nearly had a couple of car accidents purely because he just couldn't respond quick enough to stop. He was so lowered that not even yeah. the natural anxiety that we would normally have in those situations would kick in. He was. I was like, I can't live like this. I just can't do it. This is not what I want. And he was still attending all of his appointments that he needed to as well.
0: What point was the DVA process at?
1: I reckon it was about March last year where he started to have a bit of a turnaround because he messaged me about that. And I just remember like he emailed me the email and I just sort of crying at work again. (laughs) At that point, I realized how much stress I had holding on in that, just in that situation itself. And I was, I messaged him. I was like, oh, does that mean, are we done? Like, is that it? Is that the end of the fight? And he's like, yeah, that's the end of that fight.
0: Was that maybe like the turning point?
1: By all means wasn't great, but it was getting better.
0: So what was the outcome of the DVA?
1: He was recognised
0: PT- to have PTSD. After all of that?
1: After all of that.
0: So the DVA process is finished and yes, he does get compensation yes. for that and a pension, but that doesn't fill his days with anything. It doesn't mean that he can just sit back no. and beat up. Like he still needs to be active and feeling like he's contributing. So he doesn't just walk out the door and go and get a job in civvy world. So why? What has about. been the process with that,
1: and that's when he created Heroes in the Homefront and uh, started working with the charity to put on events for families and veterans and have veteran catch ups and bits and pieces like that. And he's organised to get tickets through Adelaide Oval so that the guys can go and watch footy games with their family, but be in the media boxes so they don't need to be within the crowds of people. So that's kind of what he poured himself into. Now it's going really well because he's in a much better space.
0: So what was so. the process of him coming back, moving back into the house?
1: We'd. A few conversations leading up to it, and there wasn't a lot around that. Like, you know, we went out for our wedding anniversary when we were living apart. You know, we were trying to do some more things like that together, but it definitely wasn't for me feeling like things were really moving ahead and that we were, you know, we tried couples counseling when he first left, which was not the smartest idea, but I was desperate. He just was at the point of, you know, I don't even know how I'm going to get myself out the door, Kiri. I can't even think about what having a relationship and those looking after and caring for someone else is actually. even gonna he just couldn't even go there but we definitely had become a lot more you know civilized and us being in quotes separated we're still doing our taxes together we're still doing like all this sort of stuff i remember um going and doing our tax that day and we sort of we were out on the road afterwards because we got there separately and i was like i don't know what i'm supposed to do anymore Luke. like it had been over a year and i remember saying at one point you know i could file for divorce now like we've actually been separated for a year and he's like, "Was well, that what you want?" I was like, "It's not what I want. It's never what I wanted." But I'm just, I'm just trying to give you a bit of a time frame <laughs> so you're aware that this has been going for a year now, and we still don't know what that is going to mean. But things have been getting a little bit better. And he so said to me, you know, "Should I wait? Like, am I? Is this what you want? Is this like, what do you want?" And he had said to me, "I'd like you to wait." And I said, "Okay, we'll just keep doing it then." So I'd had very little glimpses like that through the 18 months that he was away for where I could trust that I knew him well enough and I knew my gut instinct well enough. And again, it came down to that if you're going to walk away, then you need to do it yourself. I'm not going to give you the satisfaction of that. Yeah, we'd had a couple of conversations like that. And I came home from work, like I was coming around the corner to the oh, car and I was like, Luke's car's in the driveway. He didn't tell me he was coming out tonight. That's a bit strange. And so I went to the front door because Eli was asleep. So I left him in the car and Luke was like at the front door and he almost like jumped out of it at me. And I looked past, him and my first thought was like, He's cleaned the house, <laughs> what is going on? And then I was like, Now I can smell that he's cooking a roast dinner, so he's been here for a while. Then, so I got Eli out, or he got Eli out of the car. And, and as he was doing that, I did a bit of a loop to see if there was anything else that was different bags or, or divorce papers. I really didn't know what was happening, like, I didn't yeah. know what is this we were a what was... <laughs> breaking up
0: dinner or getting back <laughs> yeah. together dinner.
1: I just went along with it for a bit. And we got Eli settled down, and we were in the kitchen. and He says to me, do you miss my cooking? And I was like, oh my goodness, like so much because who the heck wants to be cooking for themselves and a toddler for 18 months, you know, and then doing all the dishes? Like, yes, I miss your cooking. And um, he's like, oh, I make a pretty good housewife, don't I? I like, yeah, you do. I'm like, where's this going? And he looked at me and he had tears in his eyes. And he said, well, I'm back home now. And that was it.
0: Oh my goodness. <laughs> and so what but did I, you do?
1: <laughs> I hugged him. And then I let go and then I smacked him across the arm. I'm like, don't you ever do that to me ever again.
0: Like he just pinched you (laughs) or something. Don't you ever do that for two years ever again?
1: (laughs) that was it. So then we had to tell Eli. So was this last year? Yeah, November last year. year. So he was three and a half by then. And you know, at that point he was saying, daddy, are you going to go back to your home? You're not going to come back to our house with mum and Eli. Like, you know, he was having that language in his conversations. We sat down with Eli and said, well, daddy's back home. And he kind of looked at me like, what does that mean? And I was like, well, daddy's going to be living here and sleeping here now. And so Eli got up and he walked into our bedroom And he's like, so mummy sleeps there and daddy sleeps there. And then Eli sleeps in his bed. And I'm like, yeah, buddy, that's right. And then I just cried. And then he went to bed and slept for 12 hours, probably the most solid sleep he'd had in the year and a half that Luke was gone.
0: Where did you get the strength and the emotional energy to keep going during that time and hold on to hope that he would come back and get better enough to be able to be back in the family home? I've
1: got a pretty strong faith and I think that really helped ground me in, you know, what I wanted for our family. And I think having that and having my knowledge of, you know, mental health and the effects also gave me that insight to really understand it a lot better. And I had incredible family and friends surrounding me and helping me through that and screaming me with me when I wanted to scream and swear with me when I needed to just let loose and say this is all absolutely ridiculous and this is, you know, crap that I'm going through this. At one point or another, even my closest friends and family had said to me, if you need to stop doing this, you can stop doing it, and no one's going to think otherwise. If you need to walk away, you've got a really good excuse for choice of better words. You've given it a good go. And I just, nothing sat right with me about me being the one to walk away. And come November, I was really glad that I didn't. He knew that I could take care of me and Eli and do it and work my job and. He just knew that that's what I could do. And I was just hopeful that he was working on himself and eventually wanted to come back to us.
0: And that's what happened. What's (laughs) life like now? What's the reality of being back together and parenting together? And what's your husband doing work-wise and his charity? How's it all coming together?
1: It's going really well. We've moved from where we were living when all that happened. Luke was really keen to get out as soon as absolutely possible. Like, Hello, you on. only cooked
0: me one roast dinner and now <laughs> yeah. we're moving.
1: So we've been a counsellor a couple of times and it was good to just kind of have a little bit of that space. After Christmas, he had suggested instead of buying a house up in the Adelaide Hills that we rent and that sat much better with me because I felt like it wasn't so permanent so quickly, not about in relation to us as a family, but just, you know, it was our first move with our army telling us where to go yeah it's scary and packing and all that sort of stuff (laughs) exactly and if it goes bad then it's all on us (laughs) if you don't like where you're posted you can blame the army for that and in that time i worked for the department for child protection so we've got different offices around the state and a friend from work said to me do you realize that mount barker has just put up job opportunities And you can apply. You have to apply by Friday. So I applied for that job and got it. And that quarter to five when I got the phone call from the real estate agency that we'd, you know, we'd got the property that I messaged a friend who'd been up here and said, what's a really good kindy? And she suggested one and I called them at 4.45 and got Eli in to have a visit the following week to start the week after.
0: It's like all the planets aligned and they're like, you've been through enough crap. We're going to give you some good stuff all at the one go.
1: That was really good and it was nice because Luke isn't working officially at the moment but kindy only goes from 8.30 to 3.15 which does not work in my job and so that meant yeah. that Luke and Eli could have time together with me out the house which I think was really important because it was really really difficult trying to parent with someone else after I'd done it for so long Yeah, and it was really hard to not take the I've been doing this you just need to back off and do it my way So that has been a real benefit. I'm just so
0: happy that it's all worked out this way for you. Not that you had to go through all the other stuff before, but happy that it's actually worked out with a positive outcome.
1: It feels really good. And I think it also just being able to go through, you know, my new role is quite demanding on me emotionally and time away from the family and just being able to come home and express that to Luke and him being able to be here and just have my back and just like on Monday I cried again and he just held me and I was in his arms thinking it's been such a long time since I could trust that you would do that and it's just so nice to know that he's there and I think it feels like we can go through anything now together I thanked him for leaving when he did which might sound a bit strange but knowing now that he really did do it to keep Eli and I safe and to not have us in the environment that he was just you know really struggling in I really appreciate the fact that he was aware enough to be able to do that so that we could do what we needed to do and that Eli didn't have to be exposed to any more of what Luke was going through you know and this Eli's going to know the story because we've spoken about the fact that we're going to talk about it because I don't want any shame for our family for this story it is what it is there's no shame for Luke and there's no shame for us or Eli in the future about what our family's been through. But I'm just so grateful to know that Eli has just still had the best parts of Luke.
0: Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Kiri, telling us all about your experience as an Army spouse and now obviously the after effects of Defence life. I'm so happy that you guys have had a positive outcome and that you're doing so well together.
1: Thanks so much. I really appreciate being able to share my story and hope that it encourages other Defence wives or Veterans wives that might be going through something similar to reach out or hold on if the situation permits that to happen. So I really appreciate being able to spend some time with you